Well, I welcome you all to this service of worship at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. We're glad uh, that you're here uh, in the sanctuary with us or that you are at home watching online um, during this extraordinary time. As you are watching online, please let us know by saying hello in the comments section. If you have a prayer request, uh, you may email that to office at hvpc.org at any time. To keep you up to date with what's happening, please visit our news page on our website, hvpc.org backslash news. We'll be sharing updates there uh, as well as on our Facebook page and via email. Please know that our staff and our elders and our deacons are praying for you and are available at any time. Just let us know by calling the church office at 215-947-5500 or send an email to office at hvpc.org. So it's been quite a week, that's for sure. Some of us have lost our jobs because businesses have been shuttered. And some of us are working 60-hour weeks just to keep up with the extra workload. Some of us have had our pay cut by employers who are... Um, cash-strapped, and some of us have had the cash rolling in as never before. Some of us are feeling cramped and claustrophobic at home, and some of us are feeling cozy and snug. Some of us are ready to divorce our children and to murder our spouses, and some of us are enjoying family time with leisurely dinners and evening board games. Some of us are fuming mad at that public officials for bungling the pandemic. And some of us are pleasantly surprised by how cooperative everyone has been. Some of us are afraid that we're going to get the virus and end up on a respirator. And some of us are hoping to get the virus to get it behind us. Some of us are fuming at God for going missing in the midst of this dreadful mess, and some of us are thanking God for his steady presence in this creative chaos. It's been quite a week, that's for sure. I've spoken with many of you this week. I've prayed with many of you over the phone. But this morning, this Sabbath morning, this morning that Almighty God has set aside to be holy for his worship, let us join together uh, and offer our prayers to Almighty God. Let us pray. Holy, 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 you are holy, O Lord God Almighty. This morning may our songs of praise rise to you for 100 million years and more. We will sing your praises and delight in your company once you bring this world to an end and give us safe lodging in New Jerusalem. Our praise is always less than your worth, your you deserve more than we give, but our hearts and our souls and our minds are full this morning, hearts full of love for you, souls full of appreciation for your fatherly care, minds full of wonder at your providence and sovereignty. Help us to worship you with our whole hearts and souls and minds this morning. Father God, you are always trustworthy and true. But this week we confess that we have often been overwhelmed in our own fear and faithlessness. 
We have often been peevish and ill-tempered with those you have given us to love. We have often been selfish and hard-hearted with those you have called us to embrace with hospitality. Remind us, Lord, that we are pilgrims and not landowners. Remind us, Lord, that we once were slaves. Remind us, Lord, that but for your grace and mercy we would be dust. Forgive us our sins for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, and create in us new hearts that are filled with your Holy Spirit. Father God, you are our provider, and we pray this day for our daily bread. We ask that you provide our families with the income they need to meet their obligations. We ask that you enable us to earn enough money so that we have plenty to be generous with others who are in need. We ask that you would save us from the false security of wealth and that you would protect us from the trials of poverty. Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace, and we pray this day for a peace that passes understanding. We ask that you give us the faith to trust you in this present trial. Redirect our eyes to you, our steady rock, in the midst of this roiling upheaval. For those of our flock who face coronavirus in their work, we pray that you keep them safe and free of fear. For those who have lost jobs and income because of this shutdown, we pray that you provide for their daily needs. For those who are isolated by the quarantine, we pray that you bring them comfort and company. For those who are anxious and agitated from being cooped up, we pray that you soothe and calm their nerves. All-powerful creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, this dread virus is but a few molecules in your massive universe. We do not understand your purpose in this pandemic, but we trust your goodness and your love. We ask that you forgive our self-reliance and that you teach us to rest in you. We pray these things for our benefit but also for your glory. And we pray them in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Our second reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, I will be reading in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Hear the word of God. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, 
because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of the grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, and that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. In this time of quarantine, we are taking a detour from our sermon series through the Acts of the Apostles. We're turning to Paul's letter to the Philippians, a letter that Paul wrote while he himself was confined, not by a disease, but by the bars of a jail cell. Paul writes this letter from prison in Rome. It would be his final jail term before his head was cut off with the sword of a pagan. It comes near the end of his life. This is not a sad letter, however, not in the least. Paul is bubbling over with gratitude and joy and encouragement. And while all scripture is useful, Paul's letter to the Philippians resonates particularly during this COVID-19 crisis. Paul's letter opens with the standard salutation in verses 1 and 2. And then in verses 3, 4, and 5, Paul offers a prayer of thanksgiving. And then finally, in verse 6, Paul offers an important affirmation. And I want this affirmation to be the focus of our meditation this morning. Verse 6 is a familiar verse. You all know it. It reads this way. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's begin with the end of that verse, the day of Jesus Christ. What in the world is the day of Jesus Christ? Well, simply put, this is the day when God shows up. When God shows up and executes God's judgment. When God shows up and settles all of the accounts The day of Jesus Christ or the day of the Lord is a double-edged sword for the innocent and for the righteous who have been suffering at the hands of the wicked. The day of the Lord is a day of rescue and a day of celebration. But for sinners guilty of abuse and oppression, the day of the Lord is a day of wrath and destruction. The day of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, will mark an end to the world as we know it. When Jesus returns, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and the old creation will have passed away. Here's how the Apostle Peter describes this day. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away and with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So in his letter, when Paul says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord, 
Paul is pointing to the end of time as we know it, the end of the world as we know it, when all of our lives will be wrapped up, summed up, and brought before judgment with Christ in the judgment seat. When the day of Jesus Christ arrives, there will be no more time for amending our ways. There will be no more time for fulfilling our intentions. There will be no more time for repenting of our sins. The trumpet of the archangel will sound, and that will be that. This chapter in the history of the universe will be over, and Paul says that he is confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on that last day, which is really good news. It's like being told mid-semester in your hardest and most advanced calculus class that when the final grade arrives, you're going to get a straight A. And do you know why you're going to get a straight A? You are going to get a straight A because it is Jesus Christ who sits for your final examination and he scored 100%. And in the meantime... The Holy Spirit is at work within you, upping your batting average on your homework. The outcome is already determined. Paul is sure of this, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. At the end of time, if you are in Christ, there will be no goodness that God intended for your life to show that is left undone. If you are in Christ, when the end comes, you will be complete and perfect in the goodness of Christ. Now listen to those three words, perfect, complete, goodness. Perfect, complete, goodness. That will be you. So don't fret. What I want to do in this sermon is to talk about what perfect, complete, goodness looks like practically in our lives. What does perfect, complete goodness look like in the life of an ordinary Christian person? Here's what Paul says. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. That's verses 9 and 10. Abounding love, discerning knowledge, approving what is excellent. Those are the practical components of perfect, complete goodness. And those three practical components arise out of three faculties of the human soul, the heart and the mind and the will. Paul begins with abounding love which is all about the heart. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. What a great prayer. Paul wants our hearts as Christians to be filled with love for each other. Now you probably know that there are four words for love in Greek, eros, storgy, phileo, and agape. And the word that Paul uses here is agape, Agape is benevolence or goodwill that one person has for another. It is the quintessential Christian word for love, and it appears many, many times in the New Testament. Agape is a noun in Greek, and the plural of this noun, agapai, is the word that is used in Scripture for what we call love feasts, or maybe we call them 
potluck dinners. In New Testament times, before the Lord's Supper was celebrated, Christians would gather and they would share a communal feast. It was a way for poorer Christians to enjoy a special meal with the cost being borne by their wealthier brothers and sisters. These meals were called agapai. And that gives us a sense of how the word agape sounded in the ears of the Apostle Paul when he writes, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Think of how it is that we love someone when we serve them good food. Just to be clear, agape has nothing to do with falling in love or being in love. It has nothing to do with sexual behavior. The word for that kind of love The love of desire is eros, and though that is the world's favorite kind of love, that word never appears, not even once, in the New Testament. The other two kinds of love in Greek are storgy, which is family love, and phileo, which is brotherly love. Storgy only appears in its negative form in the New Testament, as when some people don't even have love for their family. And phileo is rather common in the New Testament, It's almost interchangeable with agape. Agape is the distinctly Christian love. It is a self-giving concern for the well-being of another person. It is love that expects nothing in return. And Paul prays that the saints of Philippi will abound in this love. That they will love one another more and more. So many of the Christian virtues are connected to this kind of love. Generosity, hospitality, kindness, meekness, patience, forbearance. All of them are connected to this love that we should be having for one another. Now let me say something parenthetically here. During this time of this COVID-19 quarantine, a lot of us who are living in close quarters with family are finding our love a bit strained. It's easy to be generous and hospitable. It is easy to be kind and meek and patient and forbearing when all is well. And when the people who get under our skin go away when they're supposed to. All of this togetherness we are experiencing is challenging some of us. And maybe we're praying for an end to this crisis because our families are beginning to fray Because our nerves are beginning to fray. But understand this. Our problem is not a virus. Our problem is our hearts. Stress reveals our character. Stress uncovers the underlying condition of our hearts. We like to blame our circumstances. We like to blame our stress For our bad attitude and our bad behavior. But that's wrong. Stress reveals what's been there in our hearts all along. But a healthy, godly heart rolls with whatever life throws at it. In 1 Thessalonians we read, Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In all circumstances? Give thanks in a global pandemic? Yes. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
Content when we have a job and when we don't have a job? Content when we're stuck at home and content when we're free to roam? Content in all circumstances? We all should learn this secret. The secret is rather simple. The secret is to stop having faith in yourself and to stop thinking that you are God and to start having faith in God through Jesus Christ. And in Romans we read, and we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purposes. In all things? Even in global pandemics? Yeah, in all things. God is working for our good. God is doing us a favor by this lockdown. He's doing us a favor by revealing to us what's been going on in our hearts all along. The stress of this pandemic reveals the sin in our hearts and our need for a Savior. It is my prayer that your love for one another may abound more and more. Even during this COVID-19 crisis. The second thing Paul prays for is that the saints at Philippi would have knowledge and discernment. So now we've moved from the heart to the mind. We should be activated by love and concern for one another. That's a heart matter. But we should also be smart and have good judgment. Before the COVID virus shut things down around here, I was leading a Sunday school class with our middle school students. We are using the New City Catechism, a book of questions and answers produced by Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And we're going over the basics of the gospel. We're going over the basics of what scripture teaches, the basics of reformed theology. And I've been amazed by what our kids, what your kids know. Our HVPC kids really have been schooled well. They know stuff. There is a content to the gospel. There is stuff that we need to understand. Faith is not just a matter of feeling. Faith is about ideas. It's about stuff that needs to be grasped and understood in our mind, which is why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I cannot be mindless and also be a Christian. Christians are thinking people. It is not possible to have faith in Christ if we do not understand with our minds who he is and what he said. So that means there are two parts to a saving faith. First, there is the content of that faith, the stuff of the faith, which is the teaching of the prophets and the apostles that we find in Scripture. That content is understood by the mind. And then second, there is an affirmative response to that content with the will. We understand it, and then we choose it. Those are two steps, and they need to be understood distinctly. One involves the mind, and one involves the will. It is possible, for example, to be an expert in Christian theology and to not be a Christian I could be a professor of New Testament studies and still say, well, that's what the New Testament says, but I don't believe any of it. To the knowledge of what Scripture teaches must be added faith. A willful, conscious, reasonable affirmation and receiving of that content is true. But the reverse is also true. To 
faith must also be added knowledge. I can't call myself a Christian if I don't know who Jesus is and what he says about himself. For example, I could say that I believe in Jesus, that I have faith in Jesus, but if I believe that Jesus is a space alien, the way the Hale-Bopp people thought, or if I believe that Jesus is an ascended master, as the theosophists teach, or if I believe that Jesus is a mere prophet, as the Muslims believe, then I do not have a saving faith. Paul prays that the saints would have knowledge. Knowledge of the scripture, knowledge of the gospel, as has been proclaimed by the apostles who were appointed by Jesus. But in addition to that knowledge, Paul also prays that they might be discerning in their knowledge. Now discernment is a matter of judgment and judgment is another faculty of the mind. It is the faculty that tells us when to apply what we know. Have you ever met people who know a lot of facts but don't seem to have any sense? Do you know people who've learned a lot of things but make really bad choices? Judgment is a higher order knowing. It is knowing that tells us when to apply the other stuff that we know. Maybe you remember word problems from grade school mathematics. Some of us hated word problems. Word problems require that we know when to apply the basic operations of arithmetic that we've already mastered. First, we learn how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. And once we've mastered those operations, that stuff... Then we practice knowing when to add and when to multiply. That second kind of knowing is called judgment. Paul prays for the saints that they would have both knowledge and judgment. And that's my prayer for us as well. We take the study of the scriptures seriously here at HVPC. We teach the word of God from the pulpit. We teach it in Sunday school. We teach it in small group Bible studies. I hope you are constantly growing in your knowledge of the scriptures. But in addition to a grasp of what scripture says, in addition to the stuff of the gospel, we also need discernment or judgment to know how and when to apply that word of God. For example... In Proverbs we read, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside, I'll be killed in the public square. Is that proverb saying that people practicing social distancing during the COVID-19 outbreak are cowardly sluggards, as one of my Facebook friends suggested? It's one thing to know the verse. It's another thing to know how to apply the verse. And that second kind of knowledge is called judgment. And Paul prays that we would have both knowledge and judgment. Let me say a little more here about this last point. We need to take Jesus very seriously when he says, remove the log from your eye before you try to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. If we master only one command of Jesus, this command, then we will be the best church in North America There's something about the human mind and the human heart that it does a really good job of spotting someone else's error or shortcoming, but it does a really lousy job of detecting when it is out of whack. We need to keep our eye on our own work. 
We need to spend a lot less time, maybe no time at all, worrying about what our neighbor is doing. If each one of us worries about doing the right thing ourselves, we're all going to have a better time of it. Thus, when we read Scripture, may we read Scripture to see what it says to us and our lives and how we should be living and what we should be doing instead of reading it to figure out what other people should be doing. You know, like those people in Hollywood or those people on Wall Street or those people in Washington. One day, every person will face God and will have to give an account of their lives and actions. And on that day, God will not ask us our opinions about how other people conducted themselves. And we will be very busy answering for ourselves. Third, Paul prays for the saints that they might approve what is excellent. They might approve what is excellent. And this has to do with the faculty of the human will. The heart is the seat of our affections and our motivations. The mind gives us both knowledge of the truth and the judgment to know when to apply that truth. And the will is the ability to choose the better over the worse. Heart, mind, and will. Paul doesn't want us only to have hearts filled with love for one another. He doesn't want us only to have minds that are filled with truth and good judgment. Paul wants us also to have wills that consistently choose the better over what is worse. We can know the right thing to do, but if we don't choose to do it, then that knowledge doesn't do us any good. I can know what is good, but if I'm unable to choose it on a consistent basis, then my knowledge serves no purpose. This is one area of Christian discipleship where we are not doing a great job. We train our minds to understand the right things, but I don't think we so often train our wills to habitually choose The right thing. You see the difference? Training the will, which is a matter of acquiring good habits, is harder than training the mind. Let me give you a small example. Rebecca Bramer, who is our archivist here at HVPC, has acquired, years ago, the habit of keeping a daily journal. And in that journal, she reflects upon her life in light of her relationship with God. Those daily entries, which require a few minutes of concentration and attention day by day make her more reflective about what she is doing with her life. And they also give the added benefit of being able to look back over time to see how God has been at work in her life, guiding her, leading her, answering prayers, revealing to her ways that God wants her to continue to develop. I totally understand and value and affirm this discipline but I haven't managed to adopt it myself in spite of my good intentions. It's harder to master our wills than to educate our minds. Paul is praying for the saints that they would have hearts filled with love for each other, that they would have minds filled with the truth and goodness of God, and that they would have wills that are disciplined to habitually choose the good and the true. Heart, mind, And will all given over to God. That is Paul's prayer 
for the saints and that is the good work that is being accomplished in us by Jesus himself. Hear and receive the truth of the gospel. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Now let me close with one observation and two invitations. First, one observation. Maybe it's a rather obvious observation. We are in the middle of very tough times now, times of historic proportions. Many of us are anxious. We're trapped at home. We're cut off from our normal social interactions. Our kids are not at school. A number of our people have already lost jobs. All of us have lost wealth because of this economic chaos. The finances of the church and of the school are strained. Some of our members are already infected with the virus. Some might get seriously ill and die before this is done. All of us are wondering where this will lead and when things will return to normal. These are difficult times. And difficulties have a way of revealing our sinfulness. It is easier to be good when things are well. Selfishness, fearfulness, snappishness, discontent, these are all contrary to God's will for us. And these sin patterns are rising in this troubled time. But we also know from Scripture that nothing happens in this world without God's plan and that God uses all circumstances for the shaping of his people's character and their righteousness. We need to thank God for this pandemic because scripture calls us to give thanks in all circumstances because if we are in Christ, then even this pandemic is for our good. That's my closing observation. Now, two invitations. Invitation number one, If your mind understands the truth of the gospel, but your will has not yet chosen to embrace the truth of the gospel, then I invite you to place your entire hope and trust in Jesus today. I invite you to stop having faith in yourself or in humanity or in science or in your government or in the universe Stop having faith in created things and place your faith in the creator. The Bible says, for by him, it's talking about Jesus here, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Place your trust in your creator. And as you do that, he will not only be your creator, but he will also be your recreator as you're born again. What stands between us and God is sin. My sin. Sin that flares up in times of stress and trial. Sin stands between me and God. And if I come to the day of Jesus Christ without having first placed my trust in Christ alone, then my future would be genuinely terrifying. For the Bible says there, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
I cannot stand before God's judgment in my own righteousness. I am not that good. I cannot trust in myself if I am to be saved. I need to trust in Christ alone who gave his life as an atonement for my sin. So have you so if you have not yet called on Jesus to be your savior and lord, then I invite you to do that today. That's invitation number 1. Invitation number 2. For those of you who are in Christ but remain I don't know, besieged by indwelling sin then I invite you to bring yourself back to the cross of Christ for a time of refreshing. This COVID-19 crisis is revealing the contents of our hearts. And that's not always a pretty sight. And we need to thank God for this crisis and for the disruption that it has brought to our comfortable lives. And we should ask God to change us in this moment. So that our hearts are more filled with love for each other. So that our minds have a fuller knowledge and a sounder judgment regarding the contents of Scripture. So that our wills are more habitually disciplined to choose the good over the bad. Invitation number two. If you are already in Christ but are wrestling with your sin, then bring that sin to the foot of the cross... And know that the grace of God, which was poured out on that cross, is greater than all of your sins. May our hearts and minds and wills be given over entirely to God. So that we will be pure and blameless. So that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And all of that serves one purpose and one purpose alone. The glory and the praise of Almighty God. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, to you be honor and glory and praise. We thank you for the words of the Apostle Peter and we thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the wonders that you did in their lives and the ways in which you turned them around. We thank you for their earthiness and their egg-headedness. We thank you that they were people like us and that in them we can see images of ourselves. We pray that this day that you would continue to have your way with us. Conform us to your will. Conform us to the image of your Son. Lord, we pray that this crisis would not be wasted on us, but that we might be changed because of your abiding presence. We pray this for our benefit and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.